kindness is beyond our understanding, Lord. The mercy that is greater than our sin. Father, you've sent your Son. He has redeemed us. You've given us your word that guides us and opens our eyes to behold the wondrous beauties of who you are. And Lord, we ask that you would be with us now, that we would see you and see our need for you through these questions and answers. May they be helpful and transform our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. It's really good to be back. It's really good to see you all. We missed you very much. Uh, so, questions. Hey, brother. Who has a question to begin with? Yep, jump right in. I'm not exactly sure where it's at. It's in the New Testament. But, um, you know, Paul that wrote it, and maybe he's trying to talk on it, so I can't look it up. But basically, he said, uh, the Lord, and I might be paraphrasing, it's okay. but he said the Lord will quicken your mortal bodies. What, what does he mean by quicken our mortal bodies? Does that mean that he will heal our mortal bodies while we're here in this, this world? Hmm. Anybody know the reference he's referring to? First Corinthians 15. That's what it sounds like. There's... Romans 8.11 Yes, that's right. Appreciate that. Yeah. Glorious passage. So, I'm going to read a few verses before it to get some context. In fact, let's just start with verse 1. Therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation, it's Romans 8.1, for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free. In Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That's very important. We're seeing flesh and spirit being put in a contrast. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Which one are you? Do you set your mind on the things of the flesh or on the things of the Spirit? For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. A little note there. Uh, there's a common phrase that people use in certain circles. Uh, I was just in the flesh, right? That's when someone typically does something that's sinful. They say, oh, you got to forgive me. I was in my flesh. Uh, and there's some validity to that kind of language, if you will. But this is not talking about a stumble or sin. This is someone who is in the flesh, meaning they're an outsider. They're still in their sin. They're not in Christ. And you can see that because one, they're hostile to God. They're an enemy of God. And secondly, they do not submit to God's law. Indeed, they cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And then Paul gives the Again, the contrast, you, however, this is written to the believers in Rome, the church in Rome, Christians. You, however, are not in the flesh, 
but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. And there's that, that quicken, quicken your, your mortal bodies. Um, what does this mean? Well, the, the context is talking about those who live according to what they're in. If you're in the flesh, you live according to the flesh. That's death. Everything you do is rebellion. It's evil. It's wickedness. You're outside. You can't submit to God's law. You don't have the ability. You don't have the spirit. But those who are in the spirit, those who are in Christ, well, what's the implication? If those who are in the flesh cannot please God, then those who are in the spirit, what? Can. <laughs> and how do you please God? Well, not by you, not by your efforts. Um, you do it through the spirit. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. This is talking about living. It's not talking about the final resurrection. This is talking about living in a manner that is pleasing to God. And we live with our bodies. Our spirits within our bodies is what God has given to us to use to serve him. How are we going to do this? Through the spirit. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So the, 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 the quickening, the, 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 the giving life is in the context of living in a manner that is in the spirit, pleasing to God, according to um, the will of the Lord, because we are in Christ. Remember, this is the eighth chapter in Romans as he's begun already to lay out the gospel, the fallenness of man. Salvation is by faith alone. Uh, it's not by works. And because we have the spirit of God, we put to death the deeds of the flesh. We don't live according to the flesh. It's by grace. Seven, dealing with the law in relation um, to this and that we are no longer alive uh, to ourselves, but alive in the spirit. Does that help? Any follow-up questions or any additional thoughts that anyone has to that? I mean, this is one of the glorious realities of Christianity is that the same power, the divine power that raised Jesus from the dead, the Spirit of God raised Christ from the dead. You have eternal divine power at work in you, helping you to live holy lives. It's not by your own um, pulling yourself up by the bootstrap as the statement goes. It's not by just gritting your teeth. You're not in this alone. You have supernatural power helping you to walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord. You have power to say no to sin. You are not a debtor to the flesh. You don't owe the flesh anything. Romans 6 lays this out very, very um, helpfully and everything is building up, right? So, um, Christian, be encouraged. There's victory. There's power. You are not defeated. Uh, you will not be perfect in this life. You will sin often. Greatest Law is to love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and yet we don't do that. And so there's a constant reality of I am failing to live up to the glory of God, and yet we are conquerors through him who died for us. We have the power of God dwelling within us, helping us to live according to the Spirit and not the flesh. Regarding the gift of prophecy, are there modern day prophets, or is that a different function than it was in the Old Testament? And if so, 
disturbing creatures have that gift? And can you expound on that? Prophecy. Modern day prophets. Are there modern day prophets different from the Old Testament? Um, If so, does anyone have that gift these days? Yeah. So, hmm. prophecy. What what is prophecy? Let's let's get a definition. Proclaiming what will happen in the future. Were you going to say something, sister? Saying what God says. Saying what God says. Who are some prophets in the Bible? You know, Judge. The greatest prophet, yeah, Jesus himself. Uh, oh, who? Isaiah. Isaiah, yeah. Elijah. Elijah. Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Elisha. What does it take to be a prophet? We have major prophets, minor prophets, and so that's an easy way to say, oh, I know prophets, Hosea, Zephaniah, Zechariah, right? Jonah. Um, but what, what does it take to be a prophet? Was Adam a prophet? Was Noah a prophet? Was Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, Samuel? What does it take to be a prophet? Yeah, the, the, the prophet speaks, thus saith the Lord, right? I mean, he speaks on behalf of God. He says what God says. He says what will happen. Um, the prophet knows things. Uh, what, what, what was said, you know, there, there's a prophet who knows, how is it worded? Who knows what the king is thinking in his, in his room or something like that. But there were tests for prophets. It was test to see who is a true and false prophet. Does anybody know where, where that is? It's in the law. Deuteronomy who? Would you read that for us? You said eight? Say again. Deuteronomy 1815. Sorry? Okay, well, while our Bible B champions are looking for that, the the law. Okay. It's Deuteronomy 13.
Yeah, so that's the one that's probably most shocking to most people who are not familiar with this. A false prophet is one who prophesies, who says something is going to happen, and it doesn't happen. Right? But then there's this other one, which our brother just read, which is, they prophesy, it does come to pass. It does happen. Well, what makes them a false prophet? They tell you to go after other gods. So it's not just, are you saying things that are going to happen or not? It's, who are they pointing you to? It's not enough to say that something is going to take place, and it does. Who are they pointing you to? So false prophet, true prophet. A true prophet is one who not only says things, but says things that are true and that point to the true and living God. That's absolutely essential. So as we examine so-called modern-day prophets, the question is not, have they made predictions that have come true? Because these guys made predictions that came true, and that wasn't enough. What was required? What is their theology? What's their doctrinal statement? Who is God to them? And modern-day so-called prophets are very uh, similar in this way. They will say that something is going to happen. It could be you're going to be blessed, or it could even be that there's going to be catastrophe. I remember uh, Benny Hinn made a prophecy that God was going to destroy the homosexual community by like 1995 um, by fire. He said Fidel Castro was going to die in the 90s. He You know, these are not, you're going to be blessed, you're going to get a car. These are pretty stark and dark statements. None of them came true, obviously. Um, But here's the similarity. They are not sound in their theology. Their God is the God of wealth. Their God is the God of prosperity. Their God is the God of self Um, They are gathering disciples unto themselves. You see the following of these people. Um, It's all about them. Come get your prophecy. Come get your miracle. Come get your sign. It is a, a, a prostitution of the gospel and of our God, and it is wicked. So even if they did say something that was true, the majority, 99.9% of that which is out there, which calls itself prophecy, is blasphemy, heresy. And here's another element that is very dangerous. It teaches people to no longer treasure the word of God. What do I mean? Um, If I tell you, you can hear audibly in your inner ear, a still quiet voice, still small voice, you can hear God speak to you directly. Why would you want to read the Bible? I mean, which one is really more exciting? If you had a a phone to heaven where God calls you, you call him, he calls you, you talk on the phone to God, as it were, or you spend your time reading pages, getting through language, trying to understand context. Which one really is more appealing? Would you rather have God speak from heaven to you as he did to this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased? Or would you rather spend time going through pages and words and paragraphs? You see, the so-called prophets of our day are pointing people away from the word of God and where people are looking and listening for some type of extra revelation. So, My concern with that is it is very much like what we see in Deuteronomy where they're pointing people away from where we learn about the true and living God into experience. And the danger is you don't know if God said that or not. You don't know if the thing you impression, the voice or whatever is truly God. And so beware of that. But... Is there a, I mean, Paul talks about prophecy in 1 Corinthians, doesn't he? In fact, he says quite a bit about prophecy. What are some things that he says? 
Desire earnestly to prophesy. Do not despise prophecy. What are some other things that he says? Yeah, verse 5. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking, this is 1 Corinthians 14, verse 6 now. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? So prophecy is lumped in with knowledge, teaching, revelation. Prophecy. So, are there prophets today? Yes. Every Christian is a prophet. How so? Well, if we have defined prophecy accurately, we are saying things that are going to happen in the future. Every time you say, the Lord Jesus will return, what are you doing? You are prophesying. Every time you say to someone, if you remain in your sin, you will perish, are you talking to them about the past, the present, or the future? The future. Every Christian is a prophet. When you proclaim what God says, and God has already told us what's going to happen, and the gospel includes the return of Christ, it, re- it includes the promises. If you do this, this will happen. It doesn't matter who you are or where you're from. If you hold to this, if you cling to this, if you trust in him, this is going to happen in your life. Your life is going to change. You're going to be persecuted. That's prophecy. Everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You're prophesying. You're telling the truth about what God said and what God said is going to occur. You're all prophets when you speak the truth of the gospel. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven I tell you, on that day, many will say to me, but Lord, there's the future. There's prophecy. The question is, is God giving new revelation? Is God giving new... Is is, is He uh, pulling back the, the curtain, as it were, and giving new truth? No. Well, why not? Because the Word of God is the Word of God. And the question is about sufficiency. Is the Word of God perfect for us, or is it missing something? Is it lacking something? Because God is going to make sure we have everything we need, right? He's given us the Word. He's preserved the Word. So the question that arises in the circles when it comes to prophecy or not, it's really the question of, is the Scripture sufficient for the Christian? Now, is God able to give someone insight into what's going to happen into someone's life? Indeed, uh, this type of thing has happened. There were prophets um, in the days of Paul and, 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 and Peter and the other apostles um, men who knew what was going to happen specifically to individuals and not just in a broad sense. I mean, Paul was told, the one who owns this belt, right, this is going to happen. So that's why I leave that 0.1% because I'm not going to say what God will not do. He, he is absolutely able and he is the one in, in control, and so if he wants to give somebody the ability to see into someone's life and speak something into someone, uh, know certain uh, situations about somebody, amen, the Lord is able. But as a whole, that which calls itself prophecy 
is godless, blasphemous, demonic. And they've been exposed time and time again for being false. And not just because they say things that don't happen, although that is typically the way that the modern day prophets are proven to be false, but they're pointing us towards a different doctrine, a different theology, and away from the scripture into really mysticism, seeking for signs, looking for leaves to blow a certain way. God, is that you? Um, It's witchcraft in a lot of these circles. But we're not to despise prophecy. And again, I would say that every Christian who proclaims what is going to happen in the future is indeed a prophet and a prophet who will never be false or fail. So there's the question, last thing I'll say about this, unless there's more questions or um, thoughts. The difference between foretelling and foretelling, right? Foretelling, you're telling the future, again, which every Christian does when you proclaim the return of Christ is approaching. Uh, But then there's foretelling where you're saying truth, you're speaking forth truth. And theologians and commentators have wrestled with foretelling versus forthtelling uh, in the New Testament, which one is, is accurate. I leave room for the Lord to do what the Lord does, and I assess the current situation and church history, and it's pretty uh, one-sided in the conclusions of the danger of holding to modern-day prophets. Does that raise other questions or thoughts? Thoughts. So like, where's the, where's the, I guess, you know, like, I guess MacArthur's kind of made it famous for describing like preaching and like prophesying and using that category, like, it's like the first Corinthians 14 passage when it's talking about prophecy is saying like if a revelation is made to another sitting there, that kind of revelation. So like it's a revelatory prophecy versus like quoting a prophet, you know, is different than receiving a revelation yourself. So like where we just did this in the Monday night Bible study talking about this. I can't remember what his references were for equating like preaching with the word prophecy. I think it might be in the language. Um, see, but here, here's where my, where I, I, I bring up this uh, Matthew 7. I mean, in fact, I, the first thing that is said is, Lord, Lord, did we not what in your name? Prophesy. I never knew you. Did they actually prophesy? Jesus didn't say they didn't. They prophesied and they prophesied in his name. Right? So what, whatever this is, um, and then you have uh, 1 Corinthians what, 11, every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered is a dishonor, right? So without getting into the head covering thing, here are women who are prophesying, as well as men who are prophesying and praying. And uh, so, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think there is something to that. What, what was the, um, oh, verse 3, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Yeah, there, I mean, I've, I've read missionary biographies. I've heard people say that there was someone who knew things about them and they were able to tell them insights into their, their life and their mind. And, um, and they were sound in their theology. They weren't Benny Hinn, Joel Osteen, T.D. Jakes kind of preachers. They were solid and they had insight and they knew things. Well, what is that? Again, the Spirit of God does what He desires to do for the upbuilding of the church. And God forbid that I say He can't do that. He can do what He wants to do. Um, 
But we also have to be responsible and look at the scene and look at the reality of church history and our current setting and say, okay, well, what, what do we see? What do we observe? I mean, let's just be honest with it. You know, how many of you have ever met someone who had the gift of prophecy that you would say, without doubt, without a question, this person, anybody? How many of you know someone who knows someone who has that gift? And I think if you ask believers, church after church after church, you'll find this being the reality. Where are all the prophets? I mean, it seems like in 1 Corinthians, like, man, they were a bunch. They, they had so many. He had to say, look, one at a time, right? Let there be the prophets to discern the prophets. But now it's like, where, where do they all go? And that's why I say, well, you know, perhaps just like, it, you know, apostles to elders, right? we're, we're seeing the birth of the church. We're seeing things play out as we read through Acts. We read through the New Testament. You see the Lord, he, he's building his church. And as that's happening, there are um, transitions. And now it's not signs and wonders that we do to... Uh, validate our message our shadow is not falling on people and them being healed cloths that touch us no matter what robert tilton says sending you this green cloth that's not going to make you rich uh but there there's no doubt when you read and acts you see wow there was there were strange things happening by the hands of the apostles and it was glorious and it was validating their message but as you continue to read you see it's almost as though that's no longer what the Lord is using to validate the message. The message and the Spirit of God working through the message by the power of God is what is validating the message. The transformed life is what is validating the message. The reality that God truly does take people like Saul and transform them by His power and they become the apostle. That's the message being validated, um, at least it seems to be that way in my current understanding. Anybody have any other thoughts or even a challenge to that? Am, am, I, uh, am I missing it? Uh, so are you saying that the, um, when he says to earnestly desire prophecy, are you saying that that is not made for our context? And if, and if it is, um, is that, are you saying that it's particularly just for teaching and sharing the gospel? Or like, to your point, is it more, it seems like revelatory in a sense, like knowing something specific to sins that, that would cause someone to battle their face. not just saying you all sin, you all fall short. There seems to be something specific that, that would cause a person to see something that they would not have normally seen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Uh, yes. I'm saying, Lord, whatever this is, if it has morphed or if it's the same, you say it's a good thing. So whatever you have for us, I want it. Um, I don't know if, you know, I, I, again, I typically find this. I read missionary biographies. We talk to missionaries who are out there, and it's as though they are experiencing Things that we don't necessarily see here in the States, right? Okay, so the Lord perhaps is giving them certain uh, experiences, encounters that is perhaps needed in that context. That's not needed in ours. I don't know. Uh, but I know this, it would be a really helpful gift if we had it. And if it's possible, ask for it. Gift of tongues with interpretation. Man, what a blessing if you could know the language of someone else and understand what you're saying and not need an interpreter, but you have both a gift of tongues and interpretation. How much more profitable could we be with that? I'm saying amen. Lord, if you're still giving this, let us be filled with such things. Um, 
So I, I don't want to make a hard line say this is, you know, some say, nope, it's ended. There's no more of it. Some say it's all over the place. I'm saying, Lord, you know, <laughs> and whatever it is, it's good. And every good and perfect gift comes down from the father of lights in whom there's no shadow or variation of, of turning. So, yeah. Um, I don't know how many people would want to be around that, that person if you had that gift. Like, man, I don't want to be next to them. They, they know what I'm thinking. But praise God, let us have that type of uh, purity in our midst, right? The fear of the Lord was among them. And it makes sense. It's a good question. Was there one back? Um, I was going to say that um, we, don't, we don't walk around like looking for prophets or um, uh, like, like in, in other circles, um, they have these prophets. It's more like a superstar walking in the, in the church and everybody's waiting to like, I, I, want, I want something. And everybody's walking up front and setting stuff that I like fear. Yes. We're not looking for uh, for that, um, but we have guidance in the Bible. That's what I wanted to kind of uh, bring up. So the first one would be Hebrews one one. Um, it says, uh, "Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world." So we have the words of Jesus Christ in the gospel, in the New Testament. So we can go there. We can. Whenever someone comes, like, hey, I have something for you. It's like, there's an alignment with scripture. There's an alignment with the word of Christ. Um, and the second one, uh, the second verse I had in mind was um, Ephesians 2.20, where, where he says, um, uh, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, um, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So we we have the prophets building putting the foundation and we built upon the foundation and we don't have to constantly like putting a foundation, otherwise the house would not be built. Sure. So it's like, um, like you said, like God, uh, he does things differently. We don't see prophets, so like even if we're speaking for everywhere we go, but um, we have those guidelines in the Bible, like, you, you know, like, um, we don't have to be like, hey, let's, let's go crazy. Yeah, you're right. The, the law and the prophets, the apostles, the prophets, you got these, these two testaments together proclaiming the one truth of Christ being central in everything. Um, that's the foundation, and we build upon that. God's the one who's right in this story. Amen. Uh, and I believe there's something different from the prophets and God giving gifts of prophecy and insight um, because you wouldn't be saying, hey, there's a new book, right, to be written. It would be more so, God knows about what you're doing on the job, and you need to stop, right? Like, whoa, <laughs> well, that's personal, that's direct, um, you know, that like, the Lord could give someone that. Yeah. And, in, and I've, I've, I've heard um, even in, in some of Spurgeon's sermons where he's said things and somebody was like, he's talking to me. How, did, how could you know? So through the preaching, God could give the preacher insight into that. But not just the preacher, not just the pastor. He could do that for for any of you. And it could be extremely helpful um, if, again, Theology is right, pointing towards the Lord, not making yourself a superstar. It almost seemed that way. Like when I read some of the Old Testament, like the way that the prophets were and the school of the prophets and Elisha and they like they're all hanging out. And, you know, I, I think there is a, a tendency in us to 
be amazed by the plate instead of the meal, right? The prophet is just the plate. <laughs> the Lord's word is the meal. And we're like, wow, look how shiny that plate is. It's like, yeah, but the point is the meal, what the prophet is saying and who he's saying it about. But yeah, that's, that's us. We idol factory. We don't take much. Yeah, that's helpful. Good to get the, the water stirred there, brother. Didn't even need an angel to, to stir up the water. Yeah, that's good. We got, we got about 10 minutes. So, going from that, there's a five-fold ministry that some churches adhere to. Five-fold five ministry. ministry. Yeah, yeah. apostle, prophet, evangelist, special teacher. Uh, so based on the previous question, what's your take on that? And is evangelist the current position in the church? Chris taught us about apostles, right? The difference between apostle with the big A and a sent one, a missionary, church planter. Uh, I don't like to use that word apostle. I don't think it's helpful. I think it's very just, it's confusing. And it leads, and again, you can buy an apostleship, like, literally, online. You can, I want to be an apostle, I want to be, and they'll send you a certificate. Um, yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, so I, I do believe the idea of the, the foundation being built, the apostles, the prophets, and on top of that, here are these present gifts that God has given teachers, shepherds, evangelists, um, yes, I, I, I believe that God does, uh, man, Paul said it, the brother who is famous in all the churches for preaching the gospel. Do you remember that passage? I feel like the writer, it is written somewhere so often. Um, yeah, the, 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 the gift of evangelism, everyone is given the task and the responsibility and the honor and privilege to proclaim the gospel. We are evangelical in that we proclaim the evangel, the good news, the message of the gospel. That's all of us. And there are some who have been gifted with unique abilities to proclaim that message in a way that is extremely helpful and clear. And a name that comes to mind would be someone like a Paul Washer, a George Whitfield. Um, and you may have in your own mind those who just say, yeah, when they break down the gospel, it just, we all do it, but it's like, seems like there's a special gift there. Um, some churches actually have um, evangelists like on salary, on staff. It's... Sorry? Please. 2 Corinthians 8.18. Would you read that, please? Thank you. 8.18. Isn't it interesting? We're not told the guy's name. We don't know his name. But all the churches, it's like he needs no introduction. <laughs> you know who I'm talking about. That, and it wasn't Timothy. Because he always says I'm sending Timothy if he's sending Timothy. So, yes, I, I do think that God has done this. He does give these gifts. I don't believe in a five-fold ministry. I think, again, that is extremely... It's about titles and power and authority and fame. And um, some churches, they just don't know better. And I'll just leave space for ignorance. And everyone's not ill intent in this. Uh, some people just need to be taught. They need discipleship. They need, they need help. 
right? A, a father in the faith to come alongside. Um, but no, I, I don't believe in the fivefold ministry. Apostles today, again, as titles. No, but evangelism, absolutely. And some people who have a special gift, as my wife pointed out here, I think that's clear. Um, did I answer or did I miss one? Because you asked kind of a few. There's not really qualifications given like there are for elders and deacons. So can we look to that, the lack of uh, qualifications for evangelists or even prophet? That's kind of a clue that they are expired in a sense. Or is that the lack of qualifications stated specifically for those times? Is that a concern for how we hold to it? Well, that's really... That's a good question. It, why, why don't we see qualifications for these other gifts? It's not just evangelists. What about helps, ministration, hospitality? There's no qualification in order to, you have to, there's none of that. Uh, but in another sense, the qualifications are all over the place because this is just being a Christian. And what is the life of a Christian supposed to look like? Right. Um, if you have been raised with Christ, set your mind on things that are above. Um, all the letters of Paul, the theology, and then the therefore. This is how you must live. You therefore walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, worthy of the gospel, worthy of Christ. Uh, if we take those as our qualifications, the amazing thing about the qualifications for an elder and a deacon is, aside from able to teach, all of those qualifications are the same things that are said about every other believer. There's nothing unique about those qualifications. A one-woman man, meaning faithful to his wife. Is every Christian husband supposed to be faithful to his wife? Is every Christian um, supposed to be not a drunkard, not greedy, not a quarreler, right? Gentle. I mean, these are just... Christian basics. So if we say, okay, as an evangelist, someone who others have affirmed, because some people think they have that gift, they don't submit to a local church, they just travel the world, stand on corners, yell at people, just turn or burn, that's pretty much it, and they believe that they have this gift no one affirms it, no authority, no account of, that's not what I'm talking about, but if it's affirmed by the local church, brother, there is a gift there, uh, then that person should walk in a manner worthy of the, the Lord. Um, I, don't, I don't think it's expired. I've met people who I think did have that gift, do have that gift, and, and yet here's the beauty, to just encourage you all, the Spirit of God is the one who gives gifts. And remember the man who had the legion of demons. Remember him? The Lord cast them all out. And what did that man want to do? He wanted to go with them in the boat. Who wouldn't, right? Jesus. The, I want to be. Jesus told him no. And what did Jesus tell him to do? Decapolis, the ten cities, and do what? Share your faith. He was untrained, no seminary, brand new believer. And what does it say happened as he went? They were amazed. They marveled. They glorified God. Here's this brand new believer Who's the one who helped him? The Spirit of God. See, there are some people who have unique gifts, and there are some who the Lord will give special ability for a task. This man did not have anything that we would say, You're sh you should go. We should know you should sit and wait and listen for a while, learn before you go. But it's the Lord who gives gifts. So, don't be discouraged and say, well, I don't know as much as someone else. Go in faith, trust the Lord, and you may find yourself 
with a mouth filled with wisdom and insight and knowledge into the things and deep things of God. You may be able to be given the word that is spoken in season. This is what we were looking at with the whole you know, season with salt, that you may know how to answer everyone, being careful how we speak. God can give you that word that is timely, that can hit that rich young ruler right in the heart, put the finger on the pulse of what they're still holding on to. God could give you that in the moment, though you may not have the gift. So don't let that keep you from going and speaking on his behalf. Amen? Okay. Well, let's pray. Father, you are the one who knows. You know what is the status of the prophetic gifts and healing gifts and miracles and tongues and interpretation and all the rest. Lord, we don't want to say no where you say yes. We don't want to say yes where you say no. We want to follow you. We want to be useful tools in your hand. And Lord, you are the one with the power. The power is not in the gifts. The power is in the giver. And you have all power. And you are good and great and mighty and all wise. We, we want to be useful to you. We know this world is perishing. We know that people seek for signs, and yet we also know that your son showed signs at times. Lord, you know what is best. What do we need as this little church to impact this dark world? You've given us the gospel, and the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. You have not left us orphans. You have not left us without stones in a sling. But Lord, if there is something that we don't have that you are willing to give, and it's only because we have not asked. May it not be said of us, you have not because you ask not. Give us all that we need so we may honor you as you deserve to be honored. In Jesus' name, amen.